1: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. You've seen our draft shows, hopefully by now, uh, live out there on uh, Film Study YouTube channel, also uh, on the Huddle It Up Film Study uh, Huddle It Up uh, uh, YouTube channel. Uh, live coverage for roughly 14 hours over the weekend. Uh, that I hope you'll, you'll, you'll take a chance. If you don't, you want to listen to them on podcast. They're certainly coming. But we're going to talk through each of the Ravens' draft pick, some of the philosophical questions uh, from this draft. And here to do it with that with me is Josh Reed. Josh, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great, Ken.
1: Josh, great to have you back. And and we had you for the first night of the draft. And uh, understand you had your duties as a dad, not to mention your Anchorage sports writing uh, to take care of after that. Uh, but you know, some interesting threads going through this draft. Uh, one is is really the Ravens had kind of a mix of value in need in this draft, and we'll talk about a few of the clues. Uh, that I think w- would tell you uh, that it wasn't all value and it wasn't all need, um, but they but they got some of both certainly. Uh, one of the interesting things that, that they talked about advanced the draft was that they really wanted to trade down,
2: and they never were able to do that in this draft. Yeah, Eric, I talked about how how like they had some opportunities, but the math didn't add up. Like as far as like you know, they the available players that um, they they had. You know, available like the uh, or, or ranked on their value system, and if they would have moved back, would have been too far, and they wouldn't have got the guy that they wanted. Like like on on uh, day two, they talked about how like you know they had some uh, a group of like eight or, eight or nine guys that they thought could have been able to get, and by the time they were on the clock at 86, all all but one were wiped out, and the one that was left on their board that with that draftable grade in the in the third round was Trenton Simpson, so that's why they ended up going with, with an off-ball linebacker.
1: Yeah, a little odd, and we'll definitely want to want to talk about that when we get to Simpson here later. But I thought what was interesting is the first two selections for the Ravens, the clock virtually ran out. So that should tell you something. Because last year, for example, Hamilton was still available at number fourteen, and they literally ran the card up. They, the the card the, the pick was in like that. Well. I know they like Zay Flowers. I know they love what he brings to the team, and there's lots of reasons to do that. We'll talk about that in a a couple of minutes here. But if the value was so great, and the need is certainly there, but if the value was so great at that pick, they probably would have run the card up then as well. But they let the clock run all the way out, looking for a good offer on the thing. How do you feel about it in terms of, they did the right thing after seeing the receivers go in that general area.
2: Yeah. Um, I think, I think ultimately they made the right decision as far as, um, you know, taking a receiver. Cause usually when, when the runs start, you know, they, they go fast and, you know, they, they said this is the first time in I don't know how many years that receivers went one through three, four and, you know, in these successive picks and, um, and t- sequential picks in the first round. So um, from that standpoint, I think they made the right decision. Um, as far as you know, take the receiver when they did because you know as much as people want to you know, want to want to tout the Odell Beckham signing and the Nelson Aguilar signing, they're both only on one-year contracts. So mm-hmm. um, you know you, you don't want to be in this situation this time next year with no Odell Beckham. Like say he has a really good year this fall and prices himself out of out of, out of Baltimore because the contract you just gave to your quarterback. So um, I think it was the right I think it was the right decision. Um, I think they were afraid of that. Maybe if they would have traded back, because the reason they they took it down to see if they were going to get a good enough offer without having to trade too far back to get the guy, so they wouldn't be struck, stuck in another Trenton Simpson situation like they were the um the, the following night, where like you know they had guys that were rated in a certain you know in a certain range and didn't want their um, board to get wiped out. So they took the highest receiver. They said Zay was the highest guy, on, uh, highest receiver on on their board. It was a consensus thing. So. Um, I understand, you know, kind of taking it down, see if you could get, you know, the squeeze the last little bit of juice, see if you could get somebody, you know, was desperate enough to come up and not have to trade too far back. But in, in the end, I think they made the right decision.
1: Yeah, I, I think, I, I don't know what they were offered, but if it's one of these things where they wanted to go back three or four picks, there weren't that many options on teams, you know, and then the general cost, I think two rounds back last year would be a fourth round pick roughly that they would have picked up from the from the value and maybe somebody's willing to pay it and somebody else says you know we want a wide receiver too and look, they all wanted wide receivers or they all drafted wide receivers anyway mm-hmm. so it, it would kind of make sense that um people had multiple receivers that were fairly close jordan addison to me i would have taken probably ahead of flowers although you know watching the f- film again now uh since he was drafted i really warmed to the pick more. We'll get back to that in a minute. I don't want to, I don't want to spill the beans on this, but anyway, let's, let's talk trade a little bit more. Once they failed to trade at 22, if you look at the total JJ value they had in the draft and trades are still made on JJ value, even though a lot of people would tell you that scale is too peaked in the early rounds, it really should be flatter um, by round. And particularly in this draft, a lot of people thought it, it, it was really more of a flatter gradation of talent. Um, but about 76% of their total JJ value was in that first round pick at number 22. So once they failed to trade that, they didn't really have anything more to trade down with their third round pick. is a little bit of value, but it wasn't like that was going to create a lot of draft changing capital to pick up, you know, more third round picks, for example, uh, you know, would have been very unlikely. Uh, So it's, it's a, it's the kind of thing. if, If you don't trade number one, you really don't have much left. Particularly in a in a draft where you don't have a second round pick.
2: Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you, um, Ken. Like, I think that's the main reason why they took it down to the wire. They're like, look, well, this is our best chance to accumulate some, you know, relatively high or you know, draft capital. Like, 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 what was it? I think the Steelers leapfrogged the Jets, and all they gave up was like a fifth round pick to to do so. Um, to get their left to get their left tackle the left tackle of the future. If the Ravens could could move back on in a couple of spots, like say they like um. You know, they, they got like a four, they I bring they would love to have an extra fourth rounder or a fifth rounder to move back from say twenty two to like twenty-five or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um that you know like like a, they, I think they I think they wanted to move back but not too back back too far. And the reason they took it the, down as as low as they did is because they were like all right it's either it's either now or never you know kind of okay. sitting here at the pot kind of situation and you know? um they didn't find enough uh they didn't get a enticing enough offer. But I was—I saw it was reported. It was like a record, like forty-three trades so for As as low as people were saying this, that the consensus was on this draft class, the fact that people were making, you know, you know, that many trades. I mean, there were there was a lot of trading back, I and mean, then the Texans traded back like eighty times. But uh, you know, there were a lot of trade ups. You know, like I remember, I felt like every couple of minutes there was, a, oh, this pick was traded to so and so. They traded up for it. I mean, um, so even even like the contending teams, like the Chiefs traded up a couple times. Granted, you know, they were among the teams that came into it with a lot of picks. Um, same with same with the Niners. You know, like when you have a lot of like low round picks, teams tend to package those up to move for more for players that they. Um, uh, that, they re- that they really want or think they might might not be on the clock by the time they're on um, in the back of the round.
1: But, uh, you know, that's a – it's a strategy that could have worked to, to make them a trade partner for the Ravens, and and yet we never saw that happen. And the Niners were brought up on the draft show several times as being an ideal trade partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were other teams, too, that, that it, that it could have made sense. Uh, when, when you get right down to it, if you're trading multiple picks for multiple picks, almost anyone is a reasonable trade partner. If you're going to trade two for two – or three for two, then you can definitely find uh, uh, good ways. Most teams want to trade, you know, when they trade down, they want to trade one for two. That's the most likely. Sometimes they'll it'll, it'll wind up that a two for two is required to get the change right in, in, in points that both sides are just the same amount of unhappy with the trade to, to make it work. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about 86, though. When the Ravens are on the clock there, they literally ran it down within the last 10 seconds before turning in that card. We were watching on NFL Draft on NFL Network rather, and the the clock was under ten seconds before the pick is in. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Note came up, so they really were talking about it. And of course, this is one of the other big questions of the day: is that I think the Ravens were really trying to resolve the Patrick Queen situation before they drafted Trent Simpson because they may have painted themselves into a little bit of a corner in terms of uh, you know trading Queen at this point.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, like, like Derek cost was 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 non-committal, not not non-committal, but didn't want to talk about the situation. Um, and it's it's a, it's a tricky situation, man. I mean, Patrick Queen, you know, like you know, I love the guy, but he seems like real mercurial as far as his, his personality, personality, um, you know, off the field and you know, especially when it comes to social media, you know. But um, this is this it's a guy that I think the Ravens want to factor into their plans, but also know that you know the 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 possibility, you know the Realistic possibility of, of being able to keep both him and, and, and Roquan, especially on the trajectory that like you know that he's on right now in his career, especially the Zeke got paired with Roquan. I mean, if he keeps playing like the way he was playing second half of last season, this season, I mean, like like he'll, he'll probably you know he'd probably be somewhat of a of, of a steal on his – not a steal but a bargain on his fifth year option, but still at the same time like it it it's, it's, it'd be more of a luxury than a necessity. So. You know, the the tricky situation, I'd like for them to keep that duo together as long as possible, but not at the um, cost of, you know, uh, getting a position position of a greater need and value.
1: Right. And they obviously that fifth year option, the Ravens are going to be the ones who have to decide on it. Apparently now, unless a trade is made in the next few days, of course, but they have, I believe, until May 7th. So we're we're recording this on the early in the morning of uh, May 1st. Uh, And, uh, uh, you know, the Ravens only got six days. to to make this call so they can trade him during that time or the any value that that 50 year option will have will likely be lost. Now the Ravens may pull the trigger on it. The Ravens may say, you know, it's not so much money that we don't think we can find him a new home, but you do run that risk that if queen regresses and doesn't have a good year, then you, you got him because he ain't going anywhere. So I think more, it's more likely they'll allow him to play out his uh, four year deal here uh, hope for the best possible compensatory pick. Everybody's saying it, it'll definitely be a three. It will not definitely be a three. Uh, you know, no. there's a good there's a good chance that that it ends up being a four or a five. And you know, Powers was a four, and Powers got a big yeah, deal. Sucks. Yeah, so uh, you know, fifty two million dollars. And I, I don't think Patrick Queen's going to get quite as much money he could at the top end, but he also might not. Um, and he'll have to. He'll really have to play at a consistently high level. Now, the good news is. The Ravens appear to be in reasonable contention shape right now. I think they've still got holes they need to address pretty seriously: cornerback, guard, some other places, um, defensive line, even. But but they do seem to have most of the pieces together at the important spots to contend this year. And having Patrick Queen at that second inside linebacker spot will be really good because you know, ideally, maybe Trenton Simpson. I wouldn't say he red shirts for a year, but maybe it'd be nicer to have him kind of wait to play.
2: Yeah, definitely see, um, you know, we're, we're going to get into Trenton Thompson a little later, but um, as far as um, Patrick Queen, I, I think the Ravens will end up holding on to him ultimately this year, because like, I I, I don't want to say this is an all year, all in year for the Ravens, but it's kind of setting up for like, all right, this is going to be like the best shot you guys are going to have to win a title for the foreseeable future. So you got Odell on, on a one year deal. You know, you got a lot of guys entering the final years of their contract with, with JK and, and Gus and even some other key role players throughout like, like, you know, a, a Duvernay, even Brent urban's on, on the one year deal. He's a guy, he's the kind of guy that if he wants to come back, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll be back. Um, mm. But yeah, I I just think like, you know, they're kind of, I do not say pushing all the chips into the table, but just, this is the kind of season where like, you, you want to have your luxury items, at a reasonable price for this year, this year only kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it does look that way. I mean, you know, one of the things Harbaugh went out of his way to say, which almost seems pandering to Queen in a way, was talking about how excited Simpson was to get here and play special teams. Simpson's a third-round draft pick. If they drafted him to play special teams – Then they're already admitting the pick has failed to the same degree, basically that Malik Harrison was. They didn't draft him for that. They drafted him to be a special inside linebacker. You know they're hoping Micah Parsons, which that's about a uh, you know rolling double sixes to 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 get that. Maybe better. (laughs) In fact, maybe less likely than that. But but they they would really need to uh, uh, succeed to get a player like that. I I think there's uh, a. you know, there's there's more likelihood that that he's a reset of the clock on a player who has some similar attributes to Queen, some similar deficiencies to Queen, too. By the way, um, and uh, and hopefully we'll bring a lot of the same things on a cheaper contract, where he where instead of paying him, uh, you know, twelve to fourteen million dollars a year, or, or or ten to fourteen million dollars a year, let's say, uh, you know, they're they're going to pay a million dollars a year for for four years, roughly.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, go back to special teams. I know all Ravens fans kind of roll their eyes every every time they hear, um, you know, special teams value on 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 this guy. And I think I think he talked about it, and then Caillou Bukeli talked about, you know, how like you know they they they're looking forward to playing on special teams. And I mean, they definitely have the the, the skill to to translate to a guy who will be a good core special teamer. But you don't take a guy 86 overall to be a to be a, a special teams ace, even though he even though he that's may what he. Made Maybe I'm okay with Trenton Simpson being a special teams guy to start off, you know, the season to start off his career. If that means you don't hold on to another guy squarely for special teams, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I, I if you're going to, this is like a roster ro- roster crunch time and you're deciding between keeping another corner and a special teams linebacker, keep that other corner and, you know, bye-bye Josh Ross or Christian Welch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's probably the more likely event. I mean, the, the Welch is the guy who makes less sense for the Ravens at this point in, in terms of, uh, of where he is. But anyway, Josh Ross is the younger. guy. You, you want to stay young on special teams. And my big thing about special teams in general is the Ravens, if they have the depth of roster necessary to contend, they probably want to have basically zero guys, maybe one who are pure special teams players. And, uh, have basically everyone be someone who can contribute something on special teams, but also can give you something on either offense or defense. Because you really, I, I know Harbaugh with the special teams background probably values it, but I think he really values the players who can do both, not just the players who are pure special teams guys.
2: Yeah, like Justice Hill and Geno Stone, two guys that are capable. Of, uh, yeah, two guys that are capable of um, contributing on both on the respective sides of the ball, but also thrive on special teams. I'd love to see Justice Hill get more run. As as a, as a, I feel like I feel like last year was. I know we're not going to get. You know, we're talking about rookies, but I feel like mm-hmm. last year was just Justice Hill's, you know, best best year as far as like you know the strides he made as, as a runner and the things like he, he flashed a lot last year. I mean, he had. If it was, I feel like it wasn't for that hamstring that he pulled was it in the Buffalo game. I feel like he would have been in line to get to get even even more run, um, you know, prior prior to pulling that hammy.
1: It's it's surprising that he didn't get more. I thought he 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 kind of fit perfectly with with running the outside, stretching the horizontally the line of scrimmage out of sidecar, and making those opportunities for Lamar be extra special. But you get you got to have another threat who does that, and neither of the backs is really perfect for that. Jk is really a one cut uh, turned up field guy. He's not a real big speed guy. Uh, You know he's got okay speed, Um, and Gus Edwards is a is more of a between the tackles and right off tackle guy so you, you, if you know they had other choices, they could have put Devin Duvernay in the backfield, which they have done before. Um, I, think I really like the UDFA they picked up. By the way, I, he, I was
2: just about to say, I knew you are going to talk beat. about
1: him. Yeah, but uh, but he's perfect for it. Uh, so anyway, we'll we, we'll get to that another day. I'm actually doing it doing a show tomorrow on the uh, on the UDFA, so we'll probably talk about him there. But uh, but he's a great thing. What I do want. To, Work on to another. Court. We basically touched on it briefly with cornerbacks, but wide receiver and cornerback obviously were competing for the pick at twenty-two, and they ended up at cornerback, kind of chasing the price of cornerbacks as everybody else valued them higher. Even a very deep cornerback draft, and you know, it was thought that the wide receiver draft was not as good as the corner draft, and certainly the corner draft had a ton of guys at the top who looked fantastic. They had a guy who, I guess the teams know more about his injury than we do. That fell a long way in the draft. That's Keely Ringo, and then they have some, frankly, some fairly modest talent. I think in the later rounds at corner, you know, guys who have significant warts, as you would expect at any position later. And it seemed like cornerbacks were getting consistently overdrafted throughout the throughout the draft. Started off with Emmanuel Forbes at number sixteen um gonzalez went a little bit later the next then yeah like than,
2: like, yeah. like two picks later or, or the very next pick to the league
1: one did he, did he he went at 17 right forbes went at 16 so yeah he actually yeah. went after forbes. Yeah. I, I, I forbes i i i loved forbes I and mean, he was the guy I really wanted for the ravens at 22 over all others uh, over a wide receiver for, for, for certain uh, but uh but anyway i really love forbes and he, he he was obviously not the guy who was taken um, but, but it was, I thought, very appropriate that Witherspoon was the top cornerback take because college re- results are much better than Gonzalez. And Forbes, honestly, are better than Gonzalez as well. So it, it's not surprising. It's just everybody fell in love with who Gonzalez was as a uh, size and shape guy, and they ignored a lot of the college production, which was not as good for him. Uh, even playing in the Pac-12, where, you know it's not like every team has a great quarterback out there
2: yeah and that was second to me that was a classic case of, of of media love versus actual football you know like if people like like if the people like the people are there's conflicting opinions between uh the you know the media and the outside versus what teams actually think in this year's draft you know a team like yeah like media value i feel like media sometimes value traits more than teams do like, you know, so like you'll you'll have a you have a guy like a Forbes who was highly productive in college. Now teams are gonna value that kind of production and, and skills and instincts over just pure athletic traits almost every almost every day, you know, like, like nine times out of nine times out of ten. So I wasn't surprised that you know, like I was a little surprised that, that Forbes went before before um before Gonzalez. Um I I really thought 22 would have been a sweet spot for him. But I understand, you know, like I said, Washington probably saw the same thing that we all see with Forbes. You know, a guy is going to be a ball hawk, and, you know, a shutdown, a shutdown corner or like, you know, at least take one half the one side of the field away. Um, but I said I, was, I wasn't I wasn't too surprised by it. Um, but I do think Gonzalez did land in a great spot you know, in New England. And the guy like Bill Belichick is going to really, um, yeah. you know, kind of show him, show him the way.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, th- I I think he'll be a good pro. I just didn't think he was as good. I, I, I certainly didn't think he was as good as Witherspoon. He was still the number two guy on my board of the corners. and uh, uh, But Forbes was the guy I really thought we'd get. Anyway, enough of that. It's, it's spilt milk. Um, Devin Duvernay, the smaller issue that did not get resolved on draft day now. Devin Duvernay has a $4.3 million cap hit. And this really ties into the next topic as well. Um, the Ravens have entered a new era. Would they normally, would the Ravens of any time during the last five years have been eager to get rid of Devin DuVernay if they had him at 4.3 million? Well, no, because they had a quarterback on his first contract. But now, every dollar must be scrutinized to an a- additional degree because they have signed Lamar Jackson to his second contract. It's great. We're all happy to have Lamar here. You can't go anywhere without uh, a great quarterback. We all agree on that. But, Or at least I think Most of us agree on that. There are some people out there who just said, "Let them walk," and they're. they're, I can't even have a discussion with them, honestly. (laughs) But, but anyway, if 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 we assume for a moment that that you know we're all we're all happy with Lamar being here, or whether whether we are or not, the Ravens have entered a new era. They they have to scrutinize every cap dollar very closely. Every decision is going to have to be very closely scrutinized, and there isn't a big credit card. Um, limit and the fact the credit limit got greatly reduced by the Lamar contract in terms of what they could possibly do to go out and get a receiver. So or or get other players. So when the question comes up, it's going to be that much more annoying in future years uh when people want to, you know, just put it on the credit card. Forget it. Make it work. Make it happen, Ravens. There's a wide receiver available. I want him. You know, and, and it's it, it does generally seem like it's an offensive skill position player that is always the guy that the Twitter flock wants to, wants to go for. It's never a, it it doesn't ever really seem to be a cornerback or a defensive lineman. (laughs) There's just aren't sexy positions and nobody seems to, seems to want to really spend the money there where the Ravens honestly have uh, at those two positions in particular, great need at this point.
2: Yeah, and and the, the thing that perplexes me about that when, when people like the they always want to bring up the Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs thing or the DeAndre of uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Kyler Murray thing, okay, like yeah, like yeah, it was great, you know those those receivers elevated the play of that quarterback, and and that took their offense to another level, but the the glaring weakness that kept those teams from going to the Super Bowl or 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 going or, or you know making a championship run was their defense. So you're you're pumping all this money into these premium positions and offense. Or, or really offensive skill position players, and and you're and you're having you're coming up short in the playoffs because you know your offensive line you know wasn't up to snuff, or your defensive line wasn't up to stuff, and they were running the ball down your throat. You couldn't get a stop. You couldn't get off the field. You know you couldn't stop their number one receiver, or or, or even their secondary receiver because he didn't invest enough at cornerback. You know if the the Chiefs the Chiefs what the Chiefs have done the past couple of years to really kind of terraform their team into being the best one, the, the best possible kind of team that can succeed with an expensive quarterback has been nothing short of, you know, like, you know, awe-inspiring, you know, they, they heavily invested in the offensive line. You know, they, um they, they, they trusted the, their their system as far as defense. And they, they let Tyreek Hill go. And, yeah, yeah and, was and, You point. know, that,
1: that was the big, that was the big zig instead of zag move by the, by the bills. They're also uh, Orlando Brown. Is he signed elsewhere now? Yeah. Well, he's with the Bengals. Okay. So, uh Wow. Big change there too. That that you know, a guy they'd invest a draft capital in, obviously a big contract, um, was a uh, uh, you know a player they just couldn't hang on to.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. And um, I think, like the, with with the Chiefs, man, they they made this strategic decision like, hey, we're going to invest heavily in this position, this unit, that that unit. You know, like they're they're playing, they're paying. Um, what's the guy Chris Jones? You know, hand up fist because they prioritize interior pass rush. Over, over exterior, you know, over, over edge rushing. That's why they like go Frank Clark. You know, like they're willing, they're willing to, to to pay Orlando Brown. You know, uh, you know, an average of twenty million a year or whatever they, they ended up paying. Um, who was that? Juwan Taylor. I think they, I think they're paying him like 20, 21 or 20, 22 million a year. Like they're willing to invest that in order because they, they they know after what happened to Patrick Mahomes against the Bucks in that Super Bowl a few years ago, they're like, okay, we can have that happen again because we're not gonna this guy's this guy won't see the next the next decade of, you know, if he's getting beat up like this, um, you know, once we get this deep into the playoffs. So they, so they opted to you know neglect certain areas and, uh, you know, the, the flashier areas and invest in, in, you know, in the trenches, invest in the positions that's going to help them succeed and, you know, be sustain success and, and keep their, their most, you know, the most important asset on his yeah. feet and upright. So I believe in investing offensive lines. I believe investing in, in, in defense to be able to stop those, you know, high flying off, at night to initially stop, but limit.
1: Yeah, and they've I, honestly a lot of what they're doing is trying to rotate through players at those positions. Allow, you know, they're they understand the need to make heartbreaking decisions about some of the fan, some of the players their fans love, and Orlando Brown and Tyree Hill were players the team loved, uh, and, and that their fans loved, and and they had to watch them go, and uh, and particularly in Hill's case, just you know, a, a homegrown a uh, guy who'd had all the success there and and to lose him after all the success he'd had with uh with miami i uh, sorry with uh with uh, Mahomes, uh it had to be terrible for the fans but it, for, for starters, what they got from Miami was way too good to pass up i mean just it was an absurd offer that no. my, that miami gave them on on the thing and and they were not afraid to break the traditional crap that goes with you got to have these positions in order to win in the NFL. And I'm, I'm very much of the belief that while it is a passing league, I don't think you absolutely have to do it with a stable of veteran receivers. In fact, I think veteran receivers, you tend to have a very hard time winning against the cap.
2: Yeah, and I feel like what they what they what they what they did when they made the decision with Tyreek Hill is I feel like with the same same thing the Ravens might end up having to do a few years from now if Rashad Bateman ends up ends up popping, prioritizing keeping Mark Andrews over a Rashad Bateman or over, or over you know even a, a Zay Flowers later down the road, you know keeping that cause, because because of the position of value, would you rather keep your elite tight end at you know some like underneath twenty million dollars a year? or have to pay an exorbitant amount of money for the for the uh for your receiver you know who, who doesn't see the ball as much who's not on on the field as much so it's really about position of value and the the, the, the tight end the tight end um the market the tight end market hasn't nearly caught up to the level of of, of production and significance that they hold in a modern day offense that wide receiver has
1: yeah i i i Outstanding point, and I completely agree in, in terms of that you're looking a long way down the road. They have Bateman for three years now, including what I assume will be a fifth-year option. They'll they'll uh, set up for him and that may not materialize. I mean, if he's hurt for the next couple of years, you know, he he may, that may not even materialize. Actually, it's only this year because they have to make a decision after this year on his fifth-year option already. So, uh, yeah, it probably he's here for three years anyway. Would be the way I'd look at it. Uh, And I think in in his case, it's more likely because the Ravens are losing a couple guys after this year that uh, uh, in Aguilar and OBJ that uh, that that would make a lot of sense. But uh, anyway, let's get on to the players themselves, because I think that's what people want to hear from this show. Uh, Zay Flowers picked number one at uh, at uh, the 22nd pick five nine one eighty two four forty two forty. Why don't you start us off in terms of your thoughts about the guy and, and what he brings to the Ravens
2: offense? I actually love Zay Flowers. I love Zay Flowers a lot. He was, he was my, he like like I'm I'm on the same page as the Ravens. He was my number one receiver, not because I think he's you know like necessarily. The the best or the or, or the or the most or the most or the most polished, even though he's he's very underrated as as a route runner. It's all the things that he brings to the table, all the things he can do. He's the I feel like he's the most multifaceted of the receivers, you know, that went in the first round. You know, he's a guy that can you know return kicks for you, return punts for you. He's a guy that you can you know use in a Devin Duvernay role. I wouldn't say he makes Devin Duvernay obsolete or 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 a luxury, but like he makes him expendable. You know, because because you can have a guy like Zay Flowers who's so electric in the open field, and can do so many things, and you know, like I said essentially serve that Devin Duvernay role. Um, you know, like, like I, I just I just love all the things he brings to the table. He's he's fast, he's elusive. Like I said, underrated route, underrated route runner, real real, real crafty, real, real shifty. Um, brings some of that Hollywood element as far as field stretching. And um yeah, I, I think he's gonna I think he's gonna be a great a great addition to this offense. And I can't wait to see, especially in this Todd Malkin offense, man. Like I, I that whole utilizing space and every blade of grass thing is music to my ears, Ken. Like yeah. I, I don't get me wrong, I, I I it was fun watching that 2019 offense and you know fighting in a phone booth kind of thing, but it, it, it at, at a certain point it kind of restricts what you can do on the offense side of the ball. If the defense knows that you're not gonna take advantage of every blade of grass and they know they can fight you in this 20 yard box you know per se then you're kind of fighting with one hand behind behind your back yeah it shows people how tough you are but at the end of the day is it the best way to maximize your opportunities to put up points and and, and you know,
1: <laughs> you're digging yourself a deep hole in this argument with me i gotta tell you because that is the fifth highest points per drive offense in the history of the national football league it is the most efficient offense probably in the history of the national football league relative to cap
2: I understand I I'm I'm just saying like like that was great for that year and even 2020 was great but I'm not saying teams have caught up but I'm saying like you know what like it has eventually has to evolve you know like some of that the the more better operating offenses is offenses and you know in, in you know in the years that you know that have, have passed are the ones that take advantage of space and i just wanted to see you know lamar yeah. in the in, in an offense that takes advantage of space and, and you know like because to give him more opportunities like i said to you know to the scramble instead of design runs and zone read all the time
1: okay well i mean i i well, we won't argue about this anymore we're just going to go in circles if we do but but uh that that the 19 offense was very 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 special and it's hard to art to look at Jackson, the passer, in that year, and not say, "Boy, he did, just didn't have a good set of opportunities." I mean, he had he had weapons in in you know, primarily in Marquise Brown. They had space to work with that worked out for Mark Andrews and the other tight ends as well. And they had an incredible horizontal spread of the line of scrimmage that will be more, in my opinion, than what Monken will be able to accomplish horizontally exclusively i think monken will do much more for the ravens vertically in ter- in terms of spreading the thing but i think horizontally what what roman did in terms of setting up that offense is really special and, and it's special in the history of the national football league not just not just in terms of uh ravens history in particular
2: yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not recruiting any of that, Ken. I just, I just feel like the natural maturation of this offense, and I, I feel like just to kind of make Lamar happy. I'm not, I know Lamar liked Greg, and always I don't say still at the table for Greg, but defended Greg. But um, you know, you could, you, it just felt like things were kind of getting a little, a little stale on that side of the ball. Um, you know, for for some of the players, and you know, even for the for the quarterback.
1: Let's get back to Zay Flowers here. So a few notes, obviously speed is near the top of the wide receiver class. The ability to turn on the dime. We've probably all seen the Twitter videos by now of him running that whip route, which is really impressive. Now here's where I'm going to differ a little bit from you because he's obviously a very sudden athlete. I don't think he's that great a route runner. I think it's actually an opportunity for improvement for flowers over the next couple of years, working with a decent wide receiver coach, uh, being a guy who can uh, learn to, throw off the defensive back before he makes his move. Show wiggle at the top of the route, read leverage uh when there's an option on the route, but mostly throw off the defensive back at the top of the route so he loses half a step at that point. Um I think he, th- that suddenness is apparent. The throw in the move on the on the uh on the uh cornerback is not as apparent to me in terms of his ability to do that. I think he could he could take a step forward in that area, big area of improvement, potentially. Uh, Adafioe is the analogy I would use is that, you know, Jason is still a little bit down on his get off. And I don't deny that, but Adafioe is still a fantastic athlete. And if he makes a move to to one side, that offensive tackle will overreact to his first move. And he should be able to use that to figure out how to counter. And I think this will be Adafioe's big breakout year in year three. He's, he, the pressure rate has been good. And I think he can do more in terms of that pass rush plan, and we'll learn more from Chuck Smith this year to really put that into play. Obviously, both of the O's have to be good rush side linebackers for the Ravens for, for, for this to work out. But going back to Zay, um, much more effectiveness uh, in zone versus man. And when you see a guy who's not as effective in in man coverage, his numbers just aren't as good, then it's usually a case of wiggle at the top of the route is, is one of the problems. Uh, some people also blame Flowers for not having great route running. All that probably is correctable um, at the NFL level. And in particular, the wiggle is not just a gift I believe you're born with. I believe it's a learned thing. So uh, he's, he's definitely got some natural change of direction, but, but I, I think there's more.
3: Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off
1: Done as a route runner, there. I consider that a good thing. He's been a decent receiver at the catch point. Um, doesn't really have the ability to box out at his size, uh, but but he's feisty and he, he you know he goes for football. I don't, he, nobody accused him of being an alligator arms player. Uh, not a problem with the middle of the field. I love that about him. You know that that uh, one of the things we saw with Marquise Brown and the comparisons are made, you know, sloppily between Marquise Brown and Zay Flowers is that Brown was a um uh, a guy who uh, had a ton of speed could stretch the defense and so he's, Zay Flowers is just like that well Zay Flowers likes to go over the middle of the field mm-hmm. on deep crossers he doesn't have the fear he's not a, he's not going to be a an injuries won't force him to be a guy who wants to go down rather than take a hit in the middle of the field and, and Zay Flowers has been a great yak player in college really proven that that, that he's had the ability to do that Gadget options, uh, we're in, we're in existence with Brown, so there's some similarities there. He can he ran the ball, I think 57 times in college for 6.1, yeah, 57 for 6.1 yards per rush. So you can do a lot of things gadget wise with him. I don't think they'll line him up in the backfield, but I think there will be the, the jet sweep options will be open. It won't just have to be Duvernay if they're both on the field. It kind of gives you a jet sweep either way option. Uh, you, you get the, the the pitch plays that are passes but are behind the line of scrimmage that we've seen with Brown are certainly an option uh, in this offense. Uh, So lots of things in terms of gadget, maybe give you a chance to react to the, to some of the gadget components or other route running stuff
2: yeah yeah i could definitely see him you know sending him like orbit motion or something like that something in the backfield like like a to an extended handoff kind of thing just to kind of get him in the space and let him let him operate especially to like the wide side of the field where he has more more uh more, more room to operate um but as far as the the route running thing like i i didn't i didn't mean to insinuate that he's an above average route runner just that he's not as raw as some people like, you know, like I like claimed that he they claimed that he was, you know, I, I've seen yeah. plenty of videos and even Travis Kelsey went on NFL live and attest to his, to his, to his, his, his route running was kind of, when people say that he's beyond his years in a certain aspect of the game, that doesn't mean that, oh, he's already like on elite pro level, but he's just better than most guys coming into the league as far as, you know, beyond this year. So I definitely um, agree with that assessment of his route running ability. But, yeah, every, every rookie can, every rookie's kind of starting, I wouldn't say starting ground zero, but comes in with plenty of, like, you want rookies that with, like, with plenty of more to improve on. Yeah. You know, I mean, you don't want a guy that's going to take forever to develop. But at the same time, you want a guy that, okay, this is only the tip of the iceberg, and he's already really, really good.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Definitely areas of improvement are, are big. Even for a first-round player, you want that in terms of, of potential upside. Uh, So the same way you want a a pass rusher who maybe hasn't completely developed his toolkit, uh, that's in some ways better. Uh, In other ways, you want to get the value on the first contract. So, you know, I'm conflicted at times between those things. But in the case of Flowers, I think there's definitely plenty to like right now. Uh, He should be able to take the lid off the defense for this team, uh, create lots of. Uh, opportunities between level two and level three. And when you think about it, the Ravens don't have a lot of other vertical threats. Bateman is really the only other one. And, you know, coming off the foot injury, we'll see where Bateman is in terms of his ability to really stretch the field vertically. But one of the things that makes Bateman effective there isn't necessarily speed. It's the fact that um, he's very deceptive at the top of the route and can run anything. And so he still stays at the X, I would presume for most snaps and a guy like Zay Flowers would be, at the Z, more than likely in the slot some uh, it, a, as a guy who uh, who could move around and and uh, and run a bunch of different routes, but mostly take the top off the defense and create problems beyond level two, at least. Now, one thing he did in, in college was there were a ton, there's a very barbelled set of receptions, and I didn't transcribe this to my notes here, but I think he might have led the catch, led the, uh NCA in, in deep balls, but he had a lot of deep balls in any case. He also had a lot of screen passes. And uh his so his A dot overall is not particularly impressive. And his college catch rate is not particularly impressive. Now playing at Boston College had Jerkovic or whoever it was this last year throwing to a moves that wasn't particularly good and he hasn't had a lot of quarterback has been pointed out by some of the pundits, but he's still got only eight point seven yards per target. Uh, and that is I believe there's a career numbers, 62.9% at 8.7 yards per target. So it's not what you want from a first round wide receiver, but he did not have good circumstances at Boston college. And when you see the plays he's actually making, I mean, they're, they're exceptional and you can imagine Lamar Jackson using him as an extended option better than his college QBs could and really creating some uh, magic.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of, like that. Some of the, some of his best highlights are catching run plays, where he catches something yeah. short and shallow, and makes much people miss, and then then takes off. And anybody who watches college football knows that, like the screen game is like I won't say God in college football, but it's integrated in almost every offense. So a lot of times you'll see guys with you know with with with, with low. Uh, Average average depth of of, of targets sometimes, but that's a re- direct reflection that you know. Okay, if you typically you put your get your number one receiver on those little bubbles, smoke screens with some blockers in front, or just you know get him if he's like you know one on one and the corner, cornerback's playing off. Okay, get him the ball quick, let him make this guy miss, or you know stiff arm him to the ground and then then take off from there. So um I, I definitely like I think that you know that was a reflection, more reflection on on that than an indictment on his um on his ability just you know to stretch the field a
1: little bit. And it's definitely true of teams that don't run the ball particularly effectively. It's an extension of the run game in the college game even more than in the pro game. And uh, and it can we it shows up in the pro game as well now for a lot of teams. We see Cincinnati for instance using it just a, just a, an awful lot to the wide receivers uh, in in their offense. And frankly, I like it when I see it. I think it's a real weakness of the Bengals against the Ravens that they run so many of those screens and and the ball has to come out quickly to the outside because Burrow doesn't, hasn't the last few years anyway, felt particularly confident standing around in the pocket.
2: Yeah, I know. I hate it, especially when they when they do with the Jamar Chase or T. Higgins, because it's like a like, automatic seven yards almost every time. Mm-hmm. I mean, those guys are just so damn big. If you give them a little bit of space off the line of scrimmage and they just, you know, they catch those little catch those little those screens, they're going to fall for like five to seven yards, even if your guy is right there. And God forbid he missed the tackle. Jamar Chase is departing to the ground as big as he is. You know, you don't want to get posterized. So. um
1: so one more thing I want to talk about with Zay and how he relates to the Ravens offense and how they run it in the future is that his usage at Boston college really underscores a general problem that the Ravens offense has had. And I think they now have got probably, you know, and some of this assumes health, the critical mass of receive receiving targets they need to spread the ball around more than they have in recent years. Now, obviously the last few years, Mark Andrews has been getting all the ta- targets. And when Hollywood was here, he was getting a, a, a big share of the targets and not many were going anywhere else. And uh, the, the, Zay in his last three years at Boston College, his production has re- actually really in all four, 19 through 21, they went from 20.1% of pass plays. They threw the ball to him to 23.4 to 23.8 to 24.5. Those are all enormous numbers, by the way, in, in terms of percentage of the pass plays that ended up resulted in a target to him, so that's that's you know, that's it's very high because a lot of plays don't end up getting targeted at all. You've got five mm-hmm. eligible receivers to divide the ball to. Obviously, when you think about it, so it wouldn't be that extraordinary maybe to have have a guy get a fourth of the targets, but it is because there's a lot of balls that are overthrown and not not really considered targets for the receiver. So that's where some some plays are lost. You also have have pass snaps where he's on the field, but the quarterback gets sacked. Where uh, the quarterback runs, and those also are not taken are, are st- sorry are still in the denominator of his target percentage as a as a percentage of pass plays. So numbers like that are very very high, and he's suffered by being uh, having more low quality marginal targets. So. The, the the worst 20% of targets that Zay Flowers are getting are pretty bad. And and that's that happened with Mark Andrews too. And it's something the Ravens offense has the best opportunity to improve on, and Zay will bring this, is not having Andrews be the obvious bailout guy. So let's talk about what happens in that particular situation. If you have Mark Andrews as your as your definite bailout guy on any play, if you're looking for him first at all, then that means The safety ignores the outside receiver and you let him play on an an aisle. He comes up. It means that linebackers close windows on any kind of crossing route much more effectively. They're much jumpier on it. They get right on it. And you end up with multiple defenders in the area. Now, what can happen is any sort of a mistake at that point has a high probability of being an interception. So what are the kind of mistakes we're talking about? Tip balls at the line of scrimmage, any kind of drop by the receiver himself. And Andrews is good, but he doesn't have perfect hands. No, No receiver does or tip balls by the receivers as well as overthrows. So oftentimes the ball will be high and will get his hand on it. And that'll actually give the safety an opportunity coming up to, to make a play on the ball or the ball's just overthrown and, and the safety is, is moving up into the spot. You need to avoid these situations where the where the, where the defense has a high degree of surety on where the ball's going to avoid multiple players enclosing your key receiver. So the only solution to it is not to have a single receiver you throw the ball to, to throw in a more single man opportunities. It is basic football, but in terms of, of how top receivers like Andrews have suffered with their marginal targets, it's something that, that we need to find better ways to measure. And, and I I just, I think the Ravens offense having the combination of all the tight ends um, uh, Zay, bateman and odell beckham stand a better chance of getting those targets spread out more uh this year and i hope that's what we really see i hope we see a very well spread set of targets
2: yeah and what what you what you just out what you just outlined was exactly why i feel like Lamar has struggled against teams like the steelers man Steel the steelers and the Bengals at times too where like like it and even the Browns to a degree a couple times. I mean, Mark Andrews made that one crazy catch, triple coverage. But like, that's the kind of thing the defense was go- are going to do if they know that that's your guy. I mean, it was a couple years ago when the Bengals were saying like, "Oh, we know he's, like when they he's going to go to fifteen or 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 89. And you know, like then mm-hmm. that's like if they can cue in on your guys before the play even starts, especially in obvious passing situations. Like I said, you're you're already kind of behind the eight ball on that, and that's why I, like I like, said, not only is this like the the best group of pass catchers that Lamar Jackson has played with at any level. I mean, dating back to his college and probably even high school days, like, you know, I don't know how many different players he played with <laughs> in high school, but um, the fact that this is not only the, the the best group of pass catchers and deepest that he's had and you know, at any level, but also like the most, you know, like dynamic and versatile as far as being able to have, have so many guys that can do different things and make plays all over the field, I think it's going to help elevate everybody on this offense.
1: Yeah. So, it, it to me, an ideal year from Bateman is actually I'm sorry, an ideal year from Flowers is probably actually going to be fewer targets, a lot of deep targets, enough of short targets to to show that he has value as a receiver at that level. But I want to see lots of deep crosses. I want to see lots of deep balls. So defenses see it on film. They get used to wanting to cover it on film. And that opens up opportunities for a lot of other receivers who don't have the same kind of vertical explosiveness that Zay does.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think he's definitely going to lead the team in, in, in average depth of target and probably yards yards per catch too.
1: Yeah, well, there you go. That that's that's a good way to measure it right there. Well, let's move on. We spent a lot of time on Zay. We spent a lot of time on other issues with the with the draft itself. Let's move on and, to, and go down to number eighty six, where the Ravens made I think one of their most controversial picks, certainly for the for the value. Uh, Trenton Simpson, inside linebacker out of Clemson. Uh, talk about some of the things you saw on tape from him.
2: Um I saw a player kind of reminded me a lot of Patrick Queen, you know, as far as uh, you know, like like the way the way, they, the, way they, the same way they, if you the press conference, the same way they described Trenton Simpson. If you go back to what the way to describe Patrick Queen, it's almost like, you know, this guy shot at a cannon, this guy's a missile, this guy, you know, he he flies around the side on the sideline, this guy runs around with, with hair on fire. They use a lot of the same words and 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 um and euphemisms to describe to describe. Trent Simpson, as they as they regularly regularly do, Queen. I do see a lot of similarities, you know, to who Patrick Queen was coming out of college, to who Trent Simpson was. But Simpson even brought more versatility than the, the, the Queen does. You know, he's he's a guy that I think he had what twelve or 13, 13 sacks in college. He's a guy that you know that really kind of just continues that trend of adding more versatile defenders to this defense. You know, last year you had a guy in Kyle Hamilton that could line up. Just about just about everywhere. Now you got a guy Trenton Simpson. You know, so what? Kyle Hamilton was. To the you know to the secondary is what they kind of would sound like. this what they envision Trenton Simpson being to the front seven, as far as a guy that can line up off ball, line up on on the edge, or even or even in, I hope not in the slot unless it's against like a running back or or a tight end. And I mean even then, I'd much rather have a safety over that guy than Trenton Simpson. But you know, I, I digress. So I, I saw I saw the positional versatility that in, in you know the the flying around with, with like what you know got the hair hair on fire or like the whole missile mentality thing too. Um, I did see. What I, what I, one of the things I did see that you know kind of reminded Patrick Queen that I didn't like was you know there there are times that he didn't wrap up and he just try to hit a guy to the ground. You can do that in college, you know, like where a guys kind of comfortable, but you're not going to do that in, in, in NFL. You're not going to do that or nearly as often. Maybe if you come across the guy like like, like Hollywood Brown, who's, you know, was like sub sub 200 pounds, but if you come against a guy like a like you can't you're not doing that to Nick Chubb. You're not doing that to Derrick Henry. You know the, those guys with good contact balance. You know like they, not only are they going to not only are they going to stay on their feet, but they're going to keep on ticket. So I'd I like to see him, you know, like wrap up, wrap up more and not rely on, on the big hits. But um, as far as, you know, versatility standpoint, I do like a lot of things that he brings to the table and think that he's going to be an interesting piece for Mike McDonald's defense.
1: Yeah, play speed is very high. Um, so, you know, you, you, you see 100-mile-per-hour mistakes, I'm sure, is what we're going to see as a rookie. Lots of that. You know, I, I think... He has shown up as a good coverage player in college so far, and it really shows up in his downhill play more than his coverage between level two and level three. So I don't think there's any, there'll be any questions about his ability to cover in man, that he can cover a tight end, that he can cover uh, a wheel route, that he can cover you know a running back coming out of the screen. There will be recognition is important. He's going to need to he's get right on top of that. That's something Queen was kind of slow to include in his game. Uh, but he needs to he needs to make sure that uh, other running backs don't have, you know, beating us in the screen game like Jonathan Taylor and, and, uh, and players like that, who, who that's a big part of what they do. Uh, the high miss tackle rate you mentioned, 13.3 percent in his career. Let's peg that a little bit of what that means. And his was at 11.7 percent in 2022. The NFL median for inside linebackers and I used the who played 50% plus of the snaps in 2022 and this is using the same basis the PFF basis for missed tackles is 10.1%. Now there are big discrepancies in terms of missed tackles between systems so what's important is don't tell me system A's missed tackle rate and and compare it to the guys in system B. At least I used all PFF numbers for for looking at missed tackle rate in this case. At the NFL level, Pro Football Reference has a missed tackle rate um, that is uh, more generous to defenders. It, it awards less missed tackles. The PFF rate, you know, obviously, if they if they if they think you missed the angle, it's a missed tackle. If you're on these ankles, it's a missed tackle. I think I like their method more. The thing I don't always like is that there's missed tackles and missed tackles because a lot of tackles retrack a player in the backfield and and really ruin a play but they end up being missed tackles or they turn the quarterback around and they're a missed sack, but still sack still happens. It just happens a second later somebody else gets cre- cleanup credit for it. Um, I, I, I don't really like some of some of that, but I've got nothing else to go on. And missed tackle rate is pretty good for inside linebackers in terms of judging who's you know doing a pretty good job of it. To give you an idea, the 10.1% was the median for NFL linebackers. Roquan Smith is better than that at 8.6%. Patrick Queen at 13.5% last year. And that, by the way, that was an improvement for Patrick to to get to that point. So, um, you know, he's he's definitely on the uptick uh, from that said. Uh, You know, as much as we talk about missed tackle rate with Simpson, no problem finding plays where he's slinging people down hard. Uh, You know, again, there is a desire to look for highlight tackles. I would like to see more driving through the center of mass with, Arms together. You know, I, I yeah, yeah, forklifting would be fine too. But, you know, I, I, w- I would love to see uh, more driving through the center of mass and backwards. Um, he's big enough for that. You know, he's 6'2", 235. He's got a very prototypical inside linebacker size for the modern game. All the speed, you know, he could ask for in terms of that. He was number one on a lot of people's inside linebacker board. Not mine. I like Jack Campbell better, but, but he was number one on a lot of people's boards at, at inside linebacker. Um, I want to talk about his pressure rate for for a minute, but you want to talk about his tackling at all any more than what you did?
2: Oh um, no, I said he's a, he's a very aggressive tackler. So I'll, oh. I'll give him that. I just you know a lot of times you know guys get caught up in trying to deliver big hits and they'll try to you know like put their arms together kind of like mm-hmm. force the guy force the guy down. And so I like, like like I know that they'll they'll try their best to coach it out him at the next level. I don't think it'll take him as long to the, To get that coach out of him, as as it did with Queen, because Queen was still doing it as 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 of last year. And a lot of times when we see people breaking off big runs for, against the Ravens defense, and this TV just tackle him, just tackle him, and then you have to you know wait for Marlon Humphrey, and he's one of the better tacklers on the team. Um, so I just think if Marlon Humphrey just takes a little a little tackling session with everybody, like hey guys, this is how you form tackle and this is how we get them down, and you know, like the young young players especially benefit from something like that.
1: Now. Positional versatility is something I want to go back to because it's it's something I think you can easily overdo. I, I if if you want to talk play by play responsibility, that's a little bit different. I think he's pretty much set at the will linebacker spot. I don't think he's going to be oh joker. He'll be a you know he'll play like a Thomas did as safety. He'll cover the slot receiver whenever the Ravens damn well feel like it, and you know if it's twelve personnel, he's definitely on the tight end kind of thing. I don't think it's anything like that where he's an obvious matchup player. Play, play I think he's really a will linebacker. And I think the, the more you can simplify his responsibilities in year one, the better. Now that doesn't mean you can't use him off the edge. You know, a lot of times inside linebacker will come up as the second edge or they'll come up in the a gap and, and threaten the blitz. That's fine. I think also Trenton Simpson is one of the players who does a really good job of picking his own gap from off ball. So bringing him as a green dog, bringing him, uh, you know, on a delayed basis, using him on a cross blitz with a, with another player. Any of those are potential excellent games you can play with Simpson to get him the good opportunities that are going to make him an effective pass rusher. Here's part of the issue I have with him as a player is that he moved inside. His pass rush opportunities did not markedly change between 2021 and 22, but his pass, re- uh, pass rate, his pressure rate dropped into less than half of what it was. So it was 34.4% in 21. He's one of the most effective pass rushers in the country. Um, and, and they, you know, they used him as such, but, but still it's, it's very hard to get as high a quality. I think it was 31 out of 90. And the next year he, he, it was like 105 times. He rushed the passer 106 times, whatever it was, uh, but it was close. it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't two times as many pass rushers and his, and his rate dropped because he wasn't as effective. It was a matter of uh, anyway, a, a a notably reduced pressure rate. Maybe teams are more aware of him and they were kind of looking to pick him up that, you know, that because they'd seen him on tape, the running back knew that he had to pick him up play after play after play after play. But honestly, there's just a reduced effectiveness to what he was doing. Um, It'll be interesting to see what the Ravens can do with that. The Ravens, obviously a lot of um, desire to run uh, uh, overload blitzes and blitzes that, that rely on, uh, Penetrating and exploiting in tank terminology at a, at a at a single point along the offensive line. Uh, anyway, breakthrough and exploitation, I guess, is the correct term for 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 uh, for tanks. But they, they do a lot of, of games on the offensive line that could get Simpson space. Uh, I I don't love him as a pure pass rusher as much as other people already have ascribed to him. There's a there's a Simpson mania going on right now that is. Is beyond what the player is. I, I I would just say manage your expectations just a little bit on who Trenton Simpson is. You don't have to be John Harbaugh and say, hey, he's going to be a great special teams player for us. But you, you, you also, you know, don't be don't be thinking he's going to be Kyle Hamilton for us as a rookie. Because I I don't that could happen. If it does, we're going to be the happiest fans that ever were. But let's manage our expectations so that we we get some positive surprise out of this year.
2: Yeah, 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 for sure, man. Um, I, I I do think some 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 of the Trenton Simpson hype is getting getting a little getting a little out 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 of whack. You know, I've heard some J L K comparisons and like you said, Adarius Thomas comparisons. Um, but I I think I think like the the less thinking a rookie has to do early on, the more effective he is. And so like the the more you kind of cut cut a guy loose and not give him too many responsibilities. You know, like the, the better off he'll be, like and, and, and the fewer mistakes that he'll make. And like even if he does, like you said, you know, like like Martinelli always said, you know, if you're gonna make a mistake, make it make it 100 miles an hour. And um, that guy's fast enough to make it 110 miles an hour. So um, I definitely expect expect them to kind of expect them to kind of cut cut him loose. Not, not, not in the sense that you know it's going to be you know lining up as as you know as, as stand up as stand up you know two point stance or anything like that. But I definitely think they might, like you were saying, stand like you know blitz him off the edge, especially on on delayed blitzes. Especially, I think he'd be he'd be uh really really effective because the when they, the cool the cool thing about the blitzes is is you know if you have a guy that with great acceleration and you know he's running, like what, like four four three or something like that, but if you have a guy with like really really good speed, that's the kind of guy that can shoot gap real quick or you know. Something, something opens up real quick you know he, he can even like, before, like the running back sometimes running backs depending on the running back that you have in pass protection of a guy who's not as adept in pass protection you know he'll look for work look for work look for work and you know you got you got slipping you know and so you get a quarter, quarterback when he's not looking a running back when he's not looking and so I definitely think he'd be a great delayed blitz guy um as far as the edge stuff I mean John Harbaugh said that you know they envision him as an off-ball linebacker to start that could play someone yet doesn't mean he's going to be lining up as, as you're saying, behind Tyus Bowser. It just means that they might bring him off the edge to rush faster sometimes. So that's, Which they've
1: done with every will linebacker they've ever had: Bart Scott, Jamie Sharper, all of them. Adelis Thomas, uh, Adalis Thomas, not really a weak side linebacker as much, but you know, it's a, a whole bunch of guys they have done exactly that with. And and to note. That you're gonna you're gonna to say that you would get some edge play as an inside linebacker is is kind of redundant. It's part of the positional responsibilities. Is occasionally you'll be rushing as that second edge uh, on a spot, and occasionally you'll be rushing through the a gap as well. So, uh, yeah, just I I I love it. I I I think that he could potentially be a very good player. I think he resets the clock at inside linebacker um, with a uh, inexpensive player, and I'm very positive about that. Uh, I hope they get something for Patrick Queen. I hope they can use both this year if they're both on the team. I hope they can find a way to effectively use both. Uh, but I don't think the Ravens are changing to a four three because they've got these guys. I don't think so.
2: Nope. No. I mean, I, I could see in like, maybe like certain packages, like near the goal line, or for a certain team like like the Browns are presenting you a lot of a lot of twelve or twenty three personnel, something like with a lot of tight ends and a lot of a lot of running backs, then you could also bring him on the field. Or I said near near the goal line. Or you know between that ten and twenty yard line where where it's, the field is condensed, and you want yeah. you know guys who can who can fly around and hit and get guys down to the ground faster. Um, I could I could see that, but on a regular basis, I I, I just you know I think it'd be two linebackers at most.
1: Yeah, five point four yards per target in his career, and almost all of that has been yak. So he's he's allowed hundred. I'm sorry, let me get this right. Five point four yards per target in 2022, with 175 of the 196 yards being yak what that means is he's facing a lot of screen plays and he's playing great downhill football to reduce those plays as as much as they reasonably can be what i really liked is this, his career yards per target is only 5.6 i know that that pff is pretty tough in terms of ascribing the target to the underneath defender when it's between level 2 and level 3 so they're pretty strict on linebackers they're very strict on getting the screen responsibility and giving that to the inside linebacker. It's almost like their rule in scoring it is. It's the inside linebacker's responsibility unless we can see any other way that it wasn't. And I think that's generally correct, by the way. I'm not I'm not saying they're doing it wrong or anything. But the fact that they do that tells me that there was probably some desire to stay away from him. And even though I don't really see great recognition for him or ability to read the quarterback between level two and three that would really restrict the passing game. I think that, that, that there must be something there because the, the stats on him are so good as a, um, as a uh, yards per target player. And I can ascribe a fair amount of that to his downhill play and a lot of very few yards per target on those plays. But also I think that, that he, he just he has not looked great so far in terms of really knowing what's going on. And that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to learn. Is is you know, Michael Crawford always tells me whenever I bring this point up that um, that's one of the last things you can expect a linebacker to learn. That almost nobody really is particularly good at it coming out of school. There's one linebacker who's unbelievable at it coming out of this class. That's DeMarvian Overshown, uh, who only went a few picks after Simpson. By the way,
2: yeah, there, yeah. There was a few uh, linebackers that came off the board in that same area towards the bottom of the towards the bottom of the middle and the bottom of the uh, of the third round.
1: Uh let's see. The one other thing I want to ask about was Zach Orr. So you got two two people here. Talk about maybe what Zach Orr and Roquan Smith, the two of them, who's the more important in terms of his development?
2: Mm, man, I mean I, I it it my, I, mm, it you man, that's, that's a good question. Because like because they even said that that um that that he was he was Zach Orr's number one uh, rated linebacker in this class, so Zach Orr clearly has a relationship with him and has you know has been studying him at at, at at length. But there's nothing like a coach on the field. can. I mean, when when you got a when you got a guy like like Roquan who can not just help you in the film room, but also like like you know, like like next to you, like, like you know, as much as you know, Zach Ward can do all the all the film study with you and all the drills after after practice and during practice and you know, and all that kind of stuff. But if you have a guy lined up with you who's in the trenches with you and, and you know if you may be lined up wrong or you may be a little confused on the thing, the guy who can kind of you know grab you real quick, like hey, you know, go over there, go over there and or give you the little signal, whatever. I think a, a, a coach a coach Roquan Smith is the kind of guy who could be a coach on and off the field, so I think having Roquan, you know, with him on and off the field is going to be more integral to his development than Zach Orr. Although I feel like Zach Orr is going to be a, a huge a huge uh, a bonus in his development as well. I've been thinking, but even the the combination of the two is going to I feel like going to expedite his development He's more than um, Patrick Patrick Queen was. You know, the whole Rob Ryan thing kind of kind of was a you know one and done fail thing.
1: And then Orr came in and, and Queen had a much better year in year three. Um, so. Or if going back to his playing days and it was always a complaint of mine because I'm always very set in my belief that your third best safety is always a better coverage player than your second best inside linebacker. Well, Dean Pease had kind of a fear of getting caught with his his defensive pants down and getting beaten on a third down play where he couldn't get his personnel off and then he'd be stuck with a dime defense on first down. honestly, if the other team wants to go no huddle and you win the high leverage play and then you lose the lower leverage play on first down, it becomes more difficult to make that exchange. You still can't exchange, by the way, um, even with a no huddle. Then I say you take your lumps and win the high leverage plays. Dude, make the ch- personnel changes to make the high leverage plays. But, or during that entire stretch and from 2012 through 17, 2012 through 16, the first five years of the d era, they played only three percent dime that entire era, and Zach Orr was the main player. They had they had uh, Smith as well in that time. They had Mosley, of course, who was who was taking a lot of the snaps. But but they, it was the it's the will and keeping him on as opposed to bringing in a dime back, um, and a lot of that was Zach Orr. And so Zach Orr had a lot of those traits in terms of being a good enough coverage defender that you're happy to have him on the field on third down, and you're not really concerned about getting a safety in there. So I, I hope. If, if he could be as good a level two, level three player as Zach Orr was, and I think Orr learned a lot of that from Mosley, then I think you you we, the Ravens will really have something here. And this is yeah. going to be a tandem we like even
2: more. Yeah, and Mosley learned a lot from 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 Daryl Smith that that one that one yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely that, true. That, yeah, that one year they were together, and I think with the Zach or like the year like the year before he had his on the that thing. Was he like second, second team all pro or, or or something like or something like that? I believe it was he. He was on some kind of, some kind of list, but like. People knew who Zach Orr was. He was a, he was an ascending player, and like I said, had a, had a very well rounded game. I mean, like that that um, that tandem that they had for that brief time they had between him and Mosley was was a, was as good as as, as any they had in, in, in a long time. And I feel like having a guy like that who's now on the coaching side has been on the coaching side for like a few few years now. Um, is like that, 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 that player that player coach is great, but also a, a coach who's also a former player and performed at a high level is even better.
1: All right, Josh, out, outstanding talk here. We're going to continue on in part two and talk about the round four through seven picks and maybe a few other uh, items before we sign off uh, for the night here. But tell folks where they can find your work online.
2: Yeah, you can find all the Ravens stuff at um, at Heavy on Ravens. Work right for the um, for the for the heavy uh, for the the, the heavy uh, Ravens website. And um, my full time job is work for Anchor Anchorage News up here in Anchorage, Alaska. All right,
1: outstanding. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, lots of opportunity this offseason. All kinds of things to talk. You want to talk franchise building. You want to talk scheme, uh, statistical methods. You want to talk about individual players. Tell you what, if you want to talk about that one play, I'm still recording some of those. Uh, You know what that that is about at this point, I'm sure. If you don't, uh, send me a DM. Um, If you'd like to be on to discuss two individual players, one offensive and one defense at significant depth for this year, I'd love to hear from you. You don't necessarily get to choose the players, but the idea is to get uh, knowledgeable football fans out there who uh, have an interest uh, in talking about one player on each side of the ball and talking about what would be a good season and what would be a great season for them. I'd love to hear from you. DM me. I'll try and put such up with a with an individual show to do that. It gives a cross-sectionalization to any kind of positional group review shows we do. So you can talk about you know what the player might do within that uh, uh, within his particular group without you being the only one who gets to talk about uh, that particular uh, amount. Anyway, DMs are always open. Love to hear from you. We'll get back to you real soon if you if you have a topic for a show. Josh, uh, thanks for coming on. We'll come back with you in part two. Sounds good. We'll talk to you next time on film study.